This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. UtilityMuffinLabs.com is the source for podcasts like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the NerdWords podcast, and the Playing Hooky podcast, to name a few. We offer gaming, music, and pop culture content, as well as graphic and audio design, voice talent, and more. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com to commission us for your audio needs, digital artwork, and advertising opportunities. UtilityMuffinLabs.com, consistently rated adequate. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I'm Josh Heath. I'm one of the co-hosts of Werewolf the Podcast. I'm also the Chief Operations Officer over at High Level Games. And today, with my co-host, we are going to review Tribe Books Stargazers. And I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hey, everybody. I'm Becca, your co-host, and a member of the Cold Brew crew over at Twin Cities by Night. I'm really excited to get in and delve into stargazers first edition i hope you are too josh i am beyond excited i actually have very mixed feelings about this book which shouldn't actually shock anybody but uh, we're going to probably go back and forth on a few different things um i only did a real skim review before recording today so this is going to be great for anyone that's actually read it in depth because they're going to be like josh you have no idea what you're talking about and that is always what we're looking to go for (laughs) don't don't worry i did actually take some time in the last two days to read this book um so if you're way off or whatnot i'll i'll just look at you very confused sounds good you can reel me back like a fish if i'm like way out (laughs) and plopping in waters that are totally unrelated all right we got this good team (laughs) So this book, By the Numbers, was published in 1997, and the author, the singular author for once, is Bill Bridges. The developer was Ethan Skemp, and then Eileen Miles did about 17 different things related to art direction and typesetting and all of that sort of stuff, so I want to give um, Eileen credit for that. And then the art in the book was done by Scar, which is a studio of two different people, uh, and James Stowe and Drew Tucker. And they created a very well-organized book that I think from cover to cover is pretty strong. It's got some interesting things. It's a White Wolf book about non-Europe or non-America. So that's going to get into some interesting places. But I guess I'm going to toss it over to Becca and say, what were your overall thoughts of the book? They were good. I've been reading this and have gone with so little knowledge of the Stargazers prior to reading this book. I'm, I've been impressed. I want to introduce a Stargazer into a game and I want to maybe play one at some point. I have actually had a campaign where somebody decided to play a Stargazer and I should have read more into it. I did try to encourage my players by giving them extra XP if they read their tribe books. I think that's a fantastic reward system, in my opinion. I would totally read books for XP. (laughs) And I totally got that character wrong. Any of the motivations. And I wish I had taken the time to read the book so I could have give the player better not direction, but give them a better idea of what they could do with their character. And it would have been 
even more interesting because the alpha of the pack was a silver fang, lupus, and then later on a glass walker joined the pack. And it would have just having those three right there with some of the things that we'll talk, hopefully talk about later in the book were, would have been a really interesting dynamic. So overall, I guess, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the book. Cool. That kind of mirrors my thoughts. I've actually never had a player, and I say this, and someone is going to email me and be like, you forgot my character. But <laughs> I've never had a player play a Stargazer. When I started playing in Revised, Stargazers in the meta plot, we'll talk about some of the meta plot later, but in the meta plot, yes. they're not in the nation any longer. Um, so I just didn't really have them as a thing. They weren't really involved in any of my games because they didn't really exist. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always interesting for me going back to these uh, first and second edition books where they were still part of the nation and going, oh, huh. Now I see why they left because they have, they're totally divergently philosophically different from the rest of the Garu. But it's interesting totally. to kind of peel back those layers. Yeah, no, it's, I love, I think this is maybe the first book where we really see that the Weaver's the bad guy, which I, I know we talked about this before. I just, I love it. I'm like, oh, ooh, this book, this book. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why or how this book outlines the Weaver as the enemy, because I agree with you, but I'm curious what, how, like what things you pulled out that lead you down that path. So the book, the, like the main two chapters of, um, what is the stargazer's name? The, the first one. Clytal. 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 I, uh, I apologize. It's definitely going to be two, um, syllables. That's not syllables. Is that the, I don't know. Um, yeah. In most Asian languages, if you have two like vowel sounds in a name, it's separate or in a word, they're always separate and distinct. So Cly Tall is probably the closest to accurate. Okay. Forgive me, everybody. I will, as we go on, probably forget how to say that. I just wrote it down, so hopefully I'll remember it phonetically. So Cly Tall, the 989th one, it, he talks in the first two chapters just about what the Stargazers are and how kind of their history um I'm sorry, what was the original question? I think the original question is why did you uh, pull out that the Weaver was the bad guy? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I got distracted by names. So Claytow talks about how the Weaver encapsulated the worm, which I believe we do get earlier on in the other books, but he he focuses on, and I got the impression that he sees the worm as just a tantruming toddler who is trying to escape his bondage and is doing so by any means possible. Um, hence why we in this story have issues with the worm throwing agents at everything and just trying to destroy everything mindlessly. Um, but Clytow sees came, has come to the understanding that the weavers, the one since they it's the one that made the cage that destroying it or destroying fighting it is probably the better way to put that fighting the weaver is the better 
better course of action because that's going to be the overall issue. We can fight the little things and put stop gaps on it with the worm, but unless we fix the cage and try to address the bigger issue, we're not going to be able to solve anything. So that's not exactly how he said it, but that is kind of the impression that I got from my own takeaway and how I'm choosing to remember what he said. Yeah. I think that is excellent because that like lets me, if that's okay, dive into my first rant about these stargazers. Rant time. Bring it. So I think you're absolutely right. That's my understanding of the story. That's how I've read it as well. And it fits with Buddhist doctrine. Now, my wife is uh, involved. She is a lineage Buddhist. Um, she is also other things, but she is part of uh, a Buddhist lineage. And when I came to this book the first time, I knew zero about Buddhism. So I was like, all right, rock on. Coming at this the second time, knowing a little bit about Buddhism, I'm like, actually, this is not as far off as I would have thought it was, probably oh. because Bill Bridges actually knows quite a bit about Buddhism. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in Buddhism, the idea is that you are striving ultimately to recognize that the universe and you are one and that everything, all of the divisions we see in the universe do not exist. They are actually uh, constructs of our mind and of our society and of things outside of us that are trying to constrict us. And once we recognize that we are all connected universally, we are able to uh, move beyond those bonds and leave the constraints of the world, which doesn't necessarily mean we go anywhere, but we're able to interact with the world in a healthier way by recognizing that we are one, that we are all universally bound, which is, I think, the underlying message between the Gaia Dharma, which is a terrible, absolutely terrible portmanteau of a Greek word Gaia and Dharma, which comes from um, Tibetan and Hindu, um, Hindi, those languages use the term Dharma to refer to a path or a spirituality. Gaia Dharma is a terrible word. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) That said, the idea that everything is connected and that the universe that we are bound within is a prison is the central part of the the, um, stargazer's Uh, philosophy and that's something I find really fascinating this idea of we serve chimera which is a servant directly of the wild because we believe it helps us break out of these limiting boxes that the rest of the universe is locked within really cool very interesting a little bit orientalist in some ways um, and just in that it kind of assumes some things about Asian philosophy but overall still much better connected to Asia and actual Asian philosophy than most World of Darkness books um, that come out later and have some other issues, particularly with the use of the term Dharma. Anyway, I don't know what the purpose of that rant was, but that was the rant that I had semi-mentally prepared (laughs) for this session. Well, okay, so your rant was specifically about the term, but I really appreciated learning that what we're getting with the stargazer book um, unrevised the first edition is, is what we should expect 
culturally more from that part of the world. And that's really exciting. One thing you talked about earlier was the meta plot where stargazers, they pulled away from the Guru Nation. And so that's that reminded me that, oh yeah, that's probably why I never bothered reading their books before. I, w- I won't go into that right now. We can talk about why they pull away later mm-hmm. when we get to that book. We definitely should. Well, maybe we mentioned it at the end of this like conversation, but it is okay. a, it's definitely a thing really we want to know. Mm-hmm. I really want to know. As I was reading this, he kind of talks, Clytow <laughs> talks about the the using, being mad, having madness and being crazy. Madness is the better term. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit difficult for me to wrap my mind around. How would you as a storyteller kind of explain that mindset to maybe you have players that are playing all more the American or European tribes. How would you explain that if you brought in a stargazer in PC? Hmm. One of the things that comes to mind with this, um, this madness, the, that they, the stargazers sort of talk about and what they're talking about is rage. They're not talking about frenzy or they're not talking about anything else. They're talking about, as I understand it, at least they're talking about rage and rage actually being a, bad thing it's the thing that all other garu seem to revel in seem to believe like is the healthy thing but from a stargazer perspective rage is of the worm and it's like you mentioned before a toddler tantruming so instead of focusing on kind of um, empowering their rage and using rage in a in like in that sort of outrageously aggressive way that most werewolves do the stargazers are all about recognizing that as a false path and recognizing that that's going to lead them down to, to madness. And instead they focus on using dough, which is a form of martial arts and dough just means the way it's another story. And Oh, actually in werewolf it's Kalindo. I'm thinking of dough, which is in mage, but Kalindo, which actually also just means uh, the way of the body, which is, a little bit redundant. But anyway, Kalindo being their martial art allows them to control, restrict, m- use their rage like a wave, like you would in jujitsu or you would in um, kung fu, perhaps, where you take your anger and you focus it in a single point and use it for a purpose. And I think that's their whole thing. If we're going to destroy the weaver, if we're going to destroy the boundaries that reality has set, around us that create these constructs then we've got to use our intelligence to overcome our rage to actually focus on the thing that needs to be destroyed i guess that was if that answers anything i don't know but that's my random like segue on it have you heard of high level games if you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality you need high level games high level games does layout editing and development support such as kickstarter and more even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements go to highlevelgames.ca and check out dark new england for v20 high level games we want to help you level up your role-playing game highlevelgames.ca It definitely opens it up as I really didn't get that impression specifically with Kalindo. 
I do like that martial art. I think it's really cool and very disappointing that not a lot of other tribes try to use the ability to shapeshift into their fighting style. Uh, so it's cool that they mentioned it, I think, in some of the main books. Not just this as a tribe book. They do go into it more, which I also think is really cool. Uh, some of the, the extra powers styles i i think of them as charms because i've been playing exalted a lot so i'm like eh, but they're not quite charms they're just your specific maneuvers that you can do and that's it's cool and i think it adds a lot of flavor definitely worth taking a look into and i would really want to get into the revised edition to see what more they bring to it um but yeah how do you feel then about kalindo as something that you would give a player would you let a player have it and if so would you put any restrictions on it at all i think i've actually had a player try to use it try to say that they wanted it for their character but it didn't it just didn't make any sense to me when with the, a lot of the characters that they were coming up with they came up with some really weird characters and kind of hearkening back to my game with the silver fang stargazer and Glasswalker. He, that person was not one of those characters and I he kept bringing up so many distracting characters that I couldn't focus or I could have but I didn't focus nearly as much on that trifecta and I'm like oh but to answer your question would I let a player use it there'd have to be a really good reason for a non-stargazer to have it yeah just with what they've set it up in the lore and again I'm disappointed that there isn't some other version of it in the other tribes. Yeah. I I'm with you. Uh, I think Kalindo is awesome. And I actually almost think it's a little overpowered even for the stargazers to have it. But that said, from a lore standpoint, I like it a lot. And I really agree with you. Like if they had built, if they had baked the idea of we are, shape-shifting warrior people wolves into the game from the beginning and yes. like that would have been great it would have added so much it would have mm -hmm. maybe created a great combat system for the world of darkness i don't know if that exists or could exist <laughs> but at least as an idea like yes werewolves no werewolf mm -hmm. would be wouldn't think oh wait what if i shift my left arm into a human arm at just the right time to shoot a gun while i'm also slashing someone's throat like there's so many cool things you could do with yes. that it would make it so much more cinematic yeah. i think and would stretch people to think of creative maneuvers um it would probably be almost hellish to try to figure out like okay what kind of role is that splitting pools is never fun and all that sort of stuff but it'd still be really cool <laughs> yep. i think the way that i would do it would be to steal something from the charm system from exalted a little bit and mm. um maybe this is just an idea off the top of my head maybe like say hey i have this gift or this like maneuver and it costs me one point of rage to do and i can mm -hmm. do it with another attack at the same time and they both have their regular dice pools or they maybe use one die pool, but you've got to spend that point of whatever, either rage or gnosis or something um, to power that action at the same time. That would be a good way mechanically maybe to build it in, but I don't know. That's again, off the top of my head. Yeah. 
Well, and I know we talked about this a little bit last week with the sun and the moon lodges and just kind of wishing that the the tribes weren't so segregated. Um, I'm feeling, as we're talking about Kalindo, that that fits in with that theme. Like we wished that they just brought in and had more interactions between the tribes rather than having all these separate not super great in distinctions between the tribes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like, <laughs> absolutely. Like it's, it's amazing to think of. And someone did the math on this, on the werewolf group. They're like, there are 6,000 werewolves in the world. Yes. I'm so glad we got an answer to this. <laughs> and it's like, if there are 6,000 werewolves in the world, there's no way you have 13 tribes. There's no way you have seven camps. Actually, yeah, I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six camps in the smallest damn tribe in the game. Um, oh my gosh. You don't have all these different divisions. You, you just don't because you can't make a culture. You can make a culture with 6,000 people, but mm -hmm. you can't make individual cultures out of all these different groups if there are 6,000 people spread out worldwide. It just doesn't work. That yeah, way. it really doesn't. Now, stargazers camps i mean they're not really camps they're they're like different mindsets mm -hmm. in this let's dive into that a little bit sure so they um are reminiscent to me of different lineages of buddhism so when i looked at the camps for me there are things i look at these and go oh i see what they're linking to the idea they're they're connecting to the thought um, which is cool. And then they kind of branch out from Asian mysticism a little bit as well, which is also cool. Um, but that's just my overall thoughts. Do you have like a specific thought about one of the camps that you wanted to dive into, Becca? I wanted to go over and touch on them real briefly. Um, so we have the Claytal Puck, which is the the original teaching of the uh, first Claytal and um and definitely the most common that you would see in a game. Like if I were to throw a stargazer at a player group in NPC, it would probably be a Clytow Puck style where um, it's just more that I think they fall under the, the monk monk one. Um, trying to think. And then we have the Zephyr, which that is where you would find the, the Kalindo monks who have... Uh, been taught by the wind. I didn't realize that that's what it was, but looking at the name, it totally makes sense. That's the fear that like, I know that's a, a wind spirit. I think it's weird. And I agree with you. It's weird that there are these like minor distinctions, these like sub distinctions, um, like the Zephyr are Kalindo masters. And it's like, aren't all of the stargazers Kalindo masters and all of these camps mention like different fighting styles and things like that. And the world tree, uh, which is the next camp, they're basically a lot like one of the, uh, the Zephyr, except they are more grounded. And that can be a, like a style of martial arts when you try not to be moved, which is kind of the opposition to the Zephyr. Mm -hmm. There are, it's just kind of like, yeah, I get caught in a wheel ironically enough. Um, <laughs> in all of these thoughts. Yeah. Oh goodness. It See, as I was reading this, I didn't quite realize how many camps. I was like, oh, there's like, you know, a couple. No, there's there's 
your we already talked about the three there's the glass bead game players which again aren't they all a part of that because they all kind of participate in it we have the the metastic birth Mm -hmm. and i don't even know how to say this last one um Araboros is the snake that bites its own tail. So oh. I would pronounce this as Araborans, but okay. I have no idea if that's right. I, I, that sounds, your your guess is probably better than mine, like 50% better or 100, either way. Um, I mean, but to have, that's six, that's six camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one thing we haven't touched on that I think is really cool, anybody can choose to become a stargazer Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what lineage you come from in fact the the first two main chapters of this book is um clytow talking to a getafen who he's saying you've been reincarnated your reason the reason you're here is to ask these questions and um like you've done this before and that's really cool that's a subject that um it's not that it's a different twist because we still have the ancestor realms, but the idea that if you're enlightened enough, you can come back. Your like your essence comes back, and that's nothing that any of the other tribes touch on, as far as I'm aware of. And that's really cool. Oh, I love it. Agreed. It's it ties into the idea of past lives slash ancestors, which yeah. is a background, but it's never really effectively explained. It's like, are you the same spirit in the new werewolf or something else is going on? Um, particularly when they change the name to ancestors, it's like, oh, no, these are just your ancestors mm-hmm. supporting you. But then when it's past lives, it's like, oh, no, these are people you used to be. It's very meta in a weird way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, even though it does say past lives, I always just like, oh, yeah, it's ancestors. Like, never, never occurred to me that it was actually what they were talking with with stargazers. So it's just, it's funny that I'm like, oh, this is a new concept to me. They literally say past lives, Becca. <laughs> it's all right. Because <laughs> it's, it's all the, like, the interesting thing about these tribes is the way that all of the different tribes dig in and like realize these things is different and i think that it's mm-hmm. interesting so and it always it connects things differently in our brain mm-hmm. so no problem whatsoever and they so they also go into these um the litany which i think most of the other tribe books do they go into stargazers views on the different tribes which is it, it fell pretty much in line with what I expect them to say. I just wish that they had there, there was a specific line in here. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. So our brethren and the other tribes differ greatly from us, but such is the diversity of Gaia's creatures. While we rarely join packs, those of us who do must know their brethren. Well, our seemingly passive ways often anger others of our kind and we must learn what behavior will win their respect. Now, now that last part, we must learn the behavior. I was like, oh, cool. 
they're going to kind of go into the tribes and like, hey, this is what you typically expect from them. This is how you should react to them. And they don't do that part. I'm like, I wish they kind of did that a little bit more. I would have just given that extra step of, oh, this is how I can role play these characters rather than being like, here's how we view them. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm realizing that's something that I wish all the tribes did with their views. Um but it, it, that doesn't always make a lot of sense to do that when you're talking in, because you and I, if I go, hey, this is how, this is how I see the Twin Cities crew, and then tell you this is how you should interact with them, that's, that's a weird conversation. So I get why they didn't, but with Stargazers, I feel like that was just a little bit of a missed opportunity because they like address it specifically. Yeah, I agree. I, I, do you think there needs to be like almost more role-playing hints and suggestions or maybe mm-hmm. like a short story, like a little like four-line story, like these are two werewolves talking to each other and interacting. Like things like that, when they do that in the books, are great. Mm-hmm. It, and it helps so, so much. Yep. So Ag- much. Agreed. Um, one of the things I want to talk about from there, uh, two things. One, um, Eventually, there are two books that come out, um, Kindred of the East and Henge Yokai. Those two books drastically change everything that is presented in this book, and that's fine. Um, But the odd thing is that there's only one werewolf tribe native to all of Asia, and Asia is huge. It's so big! It's the second largest continent with oh, Africa gosh. being the largest. So the fact that it's like there's only one werewolf tribe and there are, are wolves throughout Asia. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm having like all this trouble sort of kind of conceptualizing how there's only supposedly one tribe. Come to find out in other books, there's also Shadow Lords as well. Yay, two tribes in all of Asia. Um, oh, that's right. Oh, I've, I have some questions for you as in regards to shadow, like how Stargazers view Shadow Lords. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we will talk about that in just a second. Okay, finish. but the first thing I want to mention are the Umbral Realms, and this is where things get weird. The Umbral Realms and the crossover with other creatures or other night folk. Um, there are a whole mention of all the Yin and ya- Yin and Yang realms, which is a Japanese concept. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. They do dive into that really heavily in a book called um, Thousand Hells for Kindred of the East. So if people are interested in that, you can dive in. And it's a whole million extra umbral realms that are not in any other book. And it's like, yay, (laughs) great. Asia's totally different than the rest of the world. Gotcha. Um, That offends me, I guess. Maybe not offend is too strong of a word, but it annoys the crap out of me. Um, They definitely need to have touched on it more. Just a little bit, maybe like a page, not like six paragraphs, but oh gosh, it is what it is. Um, And then there's supposedly this like deep LinkedIn connection between changelings and the stargazers, which like makes sense with Chimera and so forth, but is just never touched on. And Asian changelings are totally different than regular changelings. Of course they are. Right. Because, yeah. Asia strange and exotic. Do you think maybe they use 
separated it out that way to use it as an excuse for, hey, we don't understand Eastern culture very well. <laughs> I don't think they intended that, but that's one way of taking it as a consumer of those, um, of the books after the fact 20 some odd years later. I know, I know. Like I keep forgetting, I'm like, oh, 97. I think I was like eight at the time. <laughs> <laughs> like that was a while ago. Yeah, I was just starting to LARP in 1997. So this book was almost uh, out around the same time as I was gotcha. doing that. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Shadow Lords. Yes. Oh, so I, I think on the spectrum of like the leading, quote unquote, leading tribes, you're definitely Shadow Lord. I tend to lead more Silverfang. Hmm. But that's, I think, a lot because I haven't read shadow lord yet so i kind of the stargazers hit shadow lords pretty hard like they don't really they don't strike me as a tribe to badmouth any of the other tribes but they badmouth shadow lords how does that make you feel i think <laughs> that they are the right people to do so because they are bigger hypocrites than the shadow lords are and that's saying really? something yes really so my takeaway is this. In particular, the Haken are the um, the Japanese Shadow Lords. And the Haken, just like Shadow Lords everywhere, have very strong belief in honor. And most people are like, the Shadow Lords have no honor? What are you talking about? Yes, they do. Because what they believe in more than anything is taking care of their people, taking care of their nation, and making sure that they are safe against all evil that is out there. Mm -hmm. And so they will do anything to protect those people that they are honor bound to serve. Now, the shadow or the stargazers look at the shadow lords and get, go, they are way too obsessed with reality and with all of this, like all of these constructs that they've created around them. And that's absolutely true, but so are the stargazers. The stargazers are obsessed with the world. They just pretend that they're not. They pre pretend that they're separated from it um, and with all of this Kalindo and everything. But ultimately, they're not escaping the wheel either because they're failing to realize that they are part of the reason the Weaver is in charge and the Weaver put everything the way that it is. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. I... I when I read that specific section, I was like, I, it just, it really, it really stood out to me. The, the contrast between here's how we view the shadow lords. Here's how we view the silver fangs. And I appreciate that commentary because again, it's the, this is obviously how stargazers view the world, but because it so focuses heavily on that, this book doesn't feel super connected with the other books so we kind of it's easy to be like oh this is how reality is and then i go to read the next tribe book and be like oh this is how reality is and go you know it's there's not as much interconnection with the this is how we view the guru nation this is how the guru nation reacts if that makes sense yeah it does and my thing with that is i love the unreliable narrator for that in that you can have all of these different views and these conflicting stories and it doesn't all match up because it's how humanity is, it's how reality is. 
you look at it from the perspective of the stargazers, all of this is nonsense anyway, and it's all just made up. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's connecting it all as a storyteller is sometimes hard because it's mm -hmm. like all of these things are neat, but if they don't connect, I don't know how to spin a story based off of them. Now, speaking of spinning a story, do you have any plot hooks or story campaign ideas that would involve the stargazers? So I have used a stargazer once in a game that I can think of. Um, and that was in my New York, my Rage Across New York game. I was running a game set in Albany and I was using the Rage Across New York book which has an NPC that's a stargazer. And I used them as a, a plot dropper, basically. They came in, they talked to the pack and said, ooh, spooky things are happening, and then left. <laughs> um, <laughs> which maybe isn't the best way to use them, but it is one way to use them. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think I agree with you in that there is a, there's stuff here but I don't a hundred percent know how to use it. Like most of the tribe books, most of the books that I've read, I'm like, I'll run this plot. I'll do this. Maybe I would do something if I were going to run like a Korea game. Um, I lived in Korea for a year. So maybe I would use this to run a game set in Korea with stargazers and shadow Lords, perhaps. I don't know. Um, there's cool ideas here, but I don't know what to do with the stargazers as a tribe. Like they're very hard. And I think this is why mm -hmm. they end up getting thrown out of the nation or leaving um, <laughs> is because no one knew as a storyteller, what to do, what to do with them. Um, and the biggest, my biggest thought was have, have a pack come meet Clytel. Hmm. He has wisdom that, somebody else needs there's a lot of apparently hidden knowledge that the different camps can have so I mean, yeah there's a, there's some stuff there but it's just like that half step there's really not enough for me to make too much of a connection and they talk about the different areas that stargazers are in but each one's like barely a paragraph it would have been nice to have more information. I think Japan and Tibet were the ones that stood out the most to me. And I think Japan, because um, you just have so many more of the, the different breed, not breeds, but changing breeds. Mm. Um, I think the uh, Kitsune are there. You have your Shadow Lords. Uh, apparently there's, I believe, Faye? Yes. Um, so, and, and Garal, mm -hmm. I'm like, for whatever reason, Katsun and Garal are some of my favorite changing breeds, uh, despite not really knowing too, too much about them. But that right there is just like, that would be a very interesting dynamic. And I dislike how it feels so separate from the rest of the Guru Nation. I, I want more interactions with that. Yeah. I agree i either want two things one of two things to happen with the stargazers they should become part of an asian confederacy of changing breeds which shockingly there's a book that comes out that does exactly that 
And we'll talk about that when we get to it because it's not super far off in the distance. And it's actually a book I really like. Um, it's got some issues, but it's actually well-researched. I think Bill Bridges was involved in that again. Um, so that's one angle. And or they're like, you know, we're going to integrate more tightly with the Garu Nation and like maybe a plot that i would have is the all of the stargazers um except for like a handful leave their homelands mm -hmm. and they go to the king whoever the king of the garu nation is and they say look we know what is going to happen with the apocalypse the apocalypse is seven years eight months and two days away <laughs> We know exactly what's going to happen when we get to that point. We have all of this information that we've collected through prophecy and so forth. But what we have to do is integrate our knowledge into as, with as many packs, as many Garu as we can. Mm. Let us do that and like maybe have the pack work for the king and help these stargazers go around and do that. And of course, in this story, there's only like eight stargazers in the world. Um, which is <laughs> probably accurate, um, but I think it would be an interesting way of taking the concept of the stargazers and saying they know something, mm -hmm. what can we do with that, and filtering it into the game in some sort of way. Yeah, I I think that would be hard for players to do mm -hmm. um, because they're so vague in all the specific knowledge that stargazers have that the players would have to basically be making everything up, which, I mean could be fine but i think you'd have to find the right group who was interested in that kind of story mm -hmm. um now kind of hearkening back to my old campaign with the silver fang stargazer and glasswalker um i i wish i had more of interactions with them again giving the stargazer more of the hey you should aim towards work towards having this loftiness this separation focusing on the weaver and you know um, that particular character ended up being the beta to the silver fang which was really cool and then to have the glass walker i didn't touch on this earlier but the they don't know how stargazers don't know how they feel about glass walkers um, because they're so glass walkers are so intertwined with the weaver they're on one hand, really impressed with them, but on the other hand, they don't know if they can be trusted because, hey, here they're dealing with the the real quote unquote bad guy of the apocalypse. And I just, I wish I had more of that dynamic in there. That would have been such a cool story to, to have, have the story be about, here's the dynamics between the different tribes. I think it's really easy to focus on, hey, here's what's going on in the world versus we're trying to have a multi-tribe pack. Let's, how do they actually interact with each other? I think you just gave me an idea for a story. Um, it would be a version of Weaver Ascendant, which is one of the apocalypse um, scenarios. In that, and apocalypse is a book I hate. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but in the Weaver Ascendant storyline, um, the Weaver basically is like, yay, I finally won. Ha ha, Garu Nation, you've served my needs all this, all these years. Suck it. Right. Um, and in the storyline, um, it's early on, but the Glasswalker leaders, the alphas of the Glasswalker tribe, are 
fully taken over by weaver spirits mm -hmm. they become the weaver version of um of um banes which i drones they become drones of the weaver and they are filtering out this like reality needs to be structured and concretized sort of mentality but there's a small group of monkey wrenchers who recognize what's happening within the tribe and these glasswalker monkey wrenchers are like you know what we need to do we need to find a way to break the weaver's hold on reality and they go to the stargazers because the stargazers have been doing this for centuries and they have to collect knowledge from all of these stargazer elders about how to break the weaver's hold not just over the worm but over reality and at the same time take out all of these elders of the tribe but without any of the other tribes discovering what they're doing or why yeah that'd be a really cool story yeah i would that that sounds good so it's taken us a little bit but there are things that you can do definitely with stargazers um how would you would you buy this book again no really <laughs> okay um, i would get this book in a collection of books but i wouldn't buy it on its own um, okay i like the book i think it's well written agreed but because it's so hard to figure out how to use it it loses a lot from like a i would get this as a game book um mm. i would rather pick up a book about uh, buddhism and be like i'm gonna make up some werewolves that are buddhist <laughs> um because it would be about it would be just it, accurate in doing mm -hmm. that which i think is a good and it shows bill bridges really did some good um writing but i don't i don't see enough use from this book to buy it i don't know becca what do you think would you buy this book no probably not um i think one of the things that werewolf the apocalypse suffers from is just having so much of that background knowledge that i as a storyteller feel like i have to read this book i'm a slow reader took me about two days to go through there just there was information there but not enough again to really do much with no um i don't know it's it's a book it's not bad like i said it's well written and for a read and maybe to if i were going to set a game specifically in asia i would use it um but there's a revised version that's good though the revised version has the thing that i was looking at earlier to, to argue and yell about so it's got some bad points as well um but i don't think i don't know it's hard to recommend this book unless you were specifically going to run a game set mm -hmm. somewhere in asia yeah i mean some of the some of the stuff at the end of the book is kind of interesting um i don't i didn't get to the mentors section i did kind of gloss over the the npcs that they have which was like it's they're so again detached that it makes it hard to try to use those characters um the stargazer weaknesses is obsessive mind games so whenever they lose and fail an enigma's role they have to like they ponder on it until they can basically figure it out. Um, it, so like there's some interesting stuff at the end of the book, but yeah, it's just, it, it was a good read. I probably won't read it again. Yeah. Out of 10 chakras, I'd probably give it a, uh, writing, I would give it a nine. 
Fair but enough. Utility, I would give it three chakras that are Ooh. activated. <laughs> so that's like, you know, sounds like an average of five. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably where I would put it at too. Definitely lower on the list. Now, now, real quick, because I'm curious, why do the stargazers leave the Groot Nation in the meta plot? So what happens is the stargazers have one cairn that has never fallen to the worm. It is ancient. It is as old as Clytal, the first one is. And um, it is supposedly on Mount Maru, which that is a problem. Anyway, that we will get we will save that rant for another episode. But that uh, cairn is destroyed. It is totaled. It is ripped from existence. Not even worm tainted. It just does not exist anymore after it is destroyed. Um, and so the stargazers are, are like, oh my gosh, what has happened? And all return to Asia to try and focus on protecting the rest of their cairns. Because, come to find out, there aren't enough stargazers in the world, funnily enough, to protect <laughs> their cairns. And they can't be all around the world. They need to come home to protect the cairns that okay. are at home. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think now that you mentioned that, I remember that in a later book. I can't I can't remember what book it is, but it's like, oh, the the Karen that was destroyed is a pretty big deal in Metaplot, not just for werewolf. Right. I think it affects mage heavily and vampire heavily as well. And probably Wraith. But I, I don't I know nothing about Wraith. I know it affects mage. I think it's potentially connected to what happens with vampire, but now that you mention that, that's an interesting link which I hadn't connected. So hmm. 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 Ideas there. So we will good people leave you off with that for stargazers i have a feeling that we could continue to talk more about this but let's let's wait until revised book to really delve more <laughs> into it yes which we will do um if you're interested in finding us or talking to us or yelling at us about how the stargazers are the best tribe and you are <laughs> upset with our review you can find us at podcast werewolf on twitter you can find us on the internets at werewolfthepodcast.com or you can go to the Facebook where we are Werewolf the Podcast and that is the easiest way to leave a message. Um, Becca, if folks wanted to find you directly, where would they be able to do that? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Epic Botch. Or you can come join us at the Twin Cities by Night Discord. I'm fairly active there and it's just a fun group to talk about any not just vampire but any world of darkness book okay well until we figure out what the answer to when will you rage is we will see you next time the music provided in this episode is by kevin mcleod at Incompetech music you can find his work by googling Incompetech or kevin mcleod Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.